Hello, and welcome in to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod. Man, it has been a minute. Happy for y'all to join me. In this episode, we will be reviewing the summer to date for the LSU baseball team. We will look at the aftermath of the Major League Baseball draft. How does LSU's roster look after that draft? And we will check in on some of the LSU baseball players playing summer ball. And then finally, we will wrap up with what does each position look like heading into the fall and the second season for Coach Jay Johnson. Now Warren Morris. So thank you all for tuning in. If you're listening in on audio for the first time, the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other audio platforms. This episode will be available in podcast form only. But if you are new to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod family, thank you for joining us. And besides the pod, I typically put out a YouTube video that can be found at the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU pod YouTube channel. Please make sure to subscribe to the channel, hit that like button, comment, and hit the notifications bell for YouTube and Twitter on as well. On Twitter, the account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. That is at 60, as in the numbers, 60FT6INLSUPOD. Make sure to follow, set your notifications, and interact with me on Twitter as well. And as always... Thank you guys for the likes, the retweets, the comments, and the support. It is always greatly appreciated. Very quickly, for those that may be new, may be new to the show, my name is Chris Demui. I played baseball at LSU from 95 to 98, played a little bit of minor league baseball after that. Currently live in Baton Rouge and uh, decided last year to start an LSU baseball pod uh, about a quarter of the way through the season. So I'm a fan just like everybody else. I don't claim to have a lot of inside scoop or information. The podcast is just a collection of my thoughts and observations from watching the game and, and talking to some people and fans and people close to the program that I trust. So I did a weekly preview and review episode for the 2022 season, and I did some fun things in each episode. You know, I did three keys to the weekend, three big things that we learned on the wrap-up episodes. I did a weekend prediction. I handed out everybody's favorite, the gold-plated money stats, and we had some fun with it. I got I did the uh, get right stay right list, which is always very enjoyable. Then I see how I did with that list at the end of the series. So thank y'all for joining me. I figured after the draft, it'd be a great time to kind of wrap up the close of the summer. I don't know about y'all, but once the regionals ended and LSU bowed out, I kind of tuned out college baseball. I checked in on the super regionals just a little bit, caught some glimpses of the college world series. And um, yeah, just kind of enjoyed some family time, got back to my regular job for a while after doing the podcast and focusing so much on LSU baseball during the spring and uh, early summer, but just checked out, you know, and uh, paid attention to the draft, and I figured once every all the dust kind of settled, the draft was over, I had a chance to kind of look at some things and, and look at the roster and the transfer portal settled down a little bit. I decided now would be a good time to do kind of an end of summer, where do we stand now podcast. So this is it. So let's get things going. To lead things off, let's check in on some of the LSU players and how they're doing with regards to summer ball. Take a look at some of their summer ball assignments. And one thing to remember with summer ball, it's, it's really kind of weird. You know, some guys take it super serious. Some guys don't. A lot of times the coaches will have a plan for you going into summer, especially if you're a pitcher. You know, they may want you to work on certain things uh, with regards to your repertoire. They may only want to see you get so many innings and just kind of bring you home. 
for position players, some of those guys just go up there and get some swings. They don't take it too serious. Then they come home, maybe end it a little early. But for guys that were fringe players this year or really didn't get a lot of at-bats once conference play started, the summer can be important for pitchers and position players alike. So with some of these stats, I don't, I don't read a lot into it unless you're a fringe player, like I said. Not necessarily fringe, but you, know, you just didn't play a bigger role once conference started. So here we go. Now, this is the most up-to-date stats I could get. And some of these summer teams, their websites are absolutely horrible. So I did the best I can, people. Uh, in the Cape Cod League, we had uh, Jordan Thompson. I think he may be home now. Sometimes when the stats look like they put an X, so I can only assume they didn't have a key, but I can only assume those guys aren't there anymore. Jordan Thompson played in 20 games. He had 52 at-bats, 9 hits, 1 double, 1 home run, 4 walks, 18 Ks for a 173 average. Um, Josh Pearson also played in the Cape, 19 games, 45 ABs, nine hits, two doubles, zero home runs, six walks, 12 strikeouts for a 200 average. Travinsky also in the Cape, 14 games, 37 at bats, six hits, two doubles, three home runs in true Hayden Travinsky style, two doubles, three home runs out of his six hits, five walks, 21 Ks for a 162 average. So not great for the hitters up in the Cape this year. In the Northwoods League, Josh Stevenson, he got off to a hot start, and I think he's cooled off some, but he's got a lot of at-bats. 25 games played so far for Stevenson, 90 at-bats, 21 hits, 8 doubles, no home runs, 18 walks and 34 Ks for a two thirty-three average. He does have seven stolen bases up there in the Northwoods League. Luke Leto, and it was interesting, he's playing third base up there. At least that's what it said next to his name on the roster. So we'll have to see how that progresses uh, into the fall. So Leto, 22 games, 84 at-bats, 17 hits, one double, four home runs, so uh, quite the power streak for Leto right there. 14 walks, 35 strikeouts for a 202 average. I believe him and Stevenson are on the same team. Jack Merrifield is also in the Northwoods League. He has only played in 11 games, 43 at-bats with 10 hits for a 233 average. Going to the pitchers now, going over to the Cape. Garrett Edwards has appeared in three games, two games started. 12 and two-thirds innings pitched, 12 hits, three runs, three earned, three walks, nine strikeouts for an ERA of 2.13, which is good for Edwards to get some innings pitched. Um, he, didn't have, he didn't really pitch a lot this year for LSU, so he's already thrown more innings in the Cape than he threw all season, so that's good to see him um, getting some work. Bryce Collins was also in the Cape, four games, four and two-thirds innings pitched, two hits, five runs, five earned. Nine walks, nine Ks, 9.64 ERA. I don't know if Collins is still up there, but that's an incidence where Collins just goes up there to get some work. He may be up there for four weeks because they have so many people at the Cape. Gets a couple of appearances, then, you know, Jay Johnson and those guys just say, you know what, that's enough. You're good. You do enough during the season. Let's not push it and, and risk injury. So, but the, uh, the man of the summer so far, I think, is Grant Taylor, who's pitching in the Cape. Five games, four games started. 21 innings pitched, so a lot of uh, work for him. 15 hits, 5 runs, 5 earned. 2 walks in 21 innings pitched with 30 Ks. 2.14 ERA. 2.14, can't talk. That is an impressive summer for this young man. I have high hopes for him this season. I thought he flashed last year. I mean, he was 94 to 96 basically every time he went out, every fastball he threw. And I thought I think he has a really good curveball. Maybe inconsistent with it at times, but when he threw it, it was an absolute hammer. So 
We saw him a lot in relief on Sundays, in relief of Dutton this year. So, And it's nice to see he's getting some games started, really building up um, his stamina and his arm strength since he was a reliever this year. So great stats by him. 21 innings pitched, only 15 hits, two walks. Super impressive to go along with 30 strikeouts. So great summer so far for Grant Taylor. Hats off to you, young man. In the Texas League, which is uh, kind of – they have a team in Baton Rouge, team in Lafayette, and a couple teams in Texas. Grant Fontenot, who redshirted this year, two games, one game started, three innings pitched, five hits, five runs, four earned, three walks, one K for an ERA of 12. Um, I'm not sure if he's still pitching in that league. And also for an incoming freshman, Micah Bucknam, he's in the Major League Baseball Draft League, and I got a chance to look at some video of him on Twitter. Very impressive by this young man so far. Five games, five games started, 17 innings pitched, eight hits, three runs, one earned, five walks, 15 Ks, and 17 innings pitched for Micah Buckman, Bucknam, excuse me. And his ERA is a minuscule 0.53, and his BA against is 1. Point, excuse me, 144. So very impressive for the incoming freshman. And I watched him pitch, and it is free and easy. He may not throw as hard or is, is as heralded as some of these other recruits coming in, but he just looks like, I mean, he's spot Steve. He's hitting the corners. He's got a really nice breaking ball that he can throw for a strike. It looks like maybe any time in the count. And um, the two-minute clip I watched on Twitter, if you want to go check it out, it's on his Twitter page. It's Micah, and his last name is B-U-C-K-N-A-M. I believe he's the uh, recruit, incoming freshman from Canada. But, um, man, I liked watching him pitch. So um, that was very cool to see. I'm glad he posted that. But he's absolutely dealing um, this summer. And then um, we had the two Team USA guys with Trey Morgan and Dylan Cruz. Uh, Cruz hit 100. Uh, Morgan hit 133. Cruz appeared in seven games. Morgan appeared in six games. So it's funny, looking at the stats for when they went to the Netherlands, they came in third. They played against uh, Cuba, Japan, Curacao, the Netherlands, and nobody hit. I think the guy from Miami, um, Morales, hit great on the team, but... The team BA was like 235, so nobody hit really well. You know, not a lot of extra base hits for either one of those guys, as you can imagine. Not a lot of knocks, period. Um, You know, Jacob Gonzalez from Ole Miss was on that team. Enrique Bradfield Jr. from Vanderbilt was on that team. Um, The closer from Ole Miss was on that team. So just a collection of college stars, you know, for next year. Uh, Mike Bianco coached that team. They went over there and got the bronze medal. So just an amazing experience for those guys to wear a USA across their chest represent LSU, wear the red, white, and blue, uh, get a chance to, you know, it's cool to play for somebody else for a little while, get to see what Bianco brings to the table and how he interacts with those guys. And look, it's always fun when you go play with a group of guys that are studs at the college level and um, going up against other countries, I never had that uh, chance, but I can imagine it's just an amazing experience overseas for Cruz and Morgan. So hats off to them. And um, I'm sure they're kind of ready to get some rest and get back at it with the LSU Tigers. So that'll do it kind of for the summer recap for some of those summer stats for you guys. Um, If you're wondering where some of the LSU players were playing. More than I thought, actually. They had a lot more guys get sent off than I initially thought before I started kind of digging into some things. So, All right. Draft analysis and roster outlook. So this is how uh, I'm going to go about it. First, I'm going to look at the current LSU roster. Just review some of the people that uh, kind of exhausted their eligibility who got drafted, who transferred, and kind of go over what LSU is losing before I dive into 
who the you know the draft analysis for the portal, the JUCO guys, the high school guys, and then we'll wrap up with what the roster looks like last year. Kind of give you, I'm not going to give you a depth chart, just kind of give you a breakdown of who's at each position, and then uh, at the end, just kind of give you way too early predictions or picks to click, however you want to phrase it. Just maybe some guys I think that can hit um, into the fall. So let's get going with that. So LSU's roster. Now this is how it stands with regards to. Um, players that are on the 2022 team and where LSU is now. Okay, from a pitching perspective, Hilliard, gone. Gervais, most people think he is gone after the draft. <clears throat> Vitmeyer, gone. Hasty, transferred. Razelman, draft. He's gone. Fontenot, gone. Schaefer, Lansville. No, excuse me, Lansville's still here. Schaefer and Fowler, gone. So that means you are returning. Bryce Collins, Ty Floyd, Riley Cooper, Javen Coleman's coming off Tommy John, Samuel Dutton, Blake Money, Grant Taylor, Will Helmers, and Garrett Edwards. So if I count that up, 10 guys that you will be returning. And in my calculations, I forgot to write Lansville down. So that's going to be... That's what you have from a um, pitching perspective. So when you look at the roster, you are losing 46% of the innings pitched that you had in 2022. But oddly enough, the guys you're bringing back, you return 48% of your innings pitched. So it's kind of a trade-off. You know, if you look at it, you're losing a lot of guys in the bullpen with regards to a lot of guys with experience too. Vetmeyer and Fontenot, Hasty, Razelman, I know, and Razelman and Gervais were first-year guys, but that, you know, those are the the back end of your bullpen right there, set up closers right there. So Hilliard was your stud on the mound in terms of consistency and innings pitched. But I think, you know, I didn't realize that money, you know, Blake Money threw um, 61, yeah, 61 innings pitched last year. So that kind of snuck up on me when I looked at his stats. So you lose 46%, but you bring back 48% of your innings pitched. So it was kind of funny how that worked out. Now from a position player slash hitter perspective, you were losing 43 home runs, so that's roughly 38% of the home runs you had in 2022. You were losing 120 RBIs, mainly from Barry and Doty. But I think one guy out the portal may be able to make that up by himself almost, right? So let's look at the position players. Barry, gone. Doty, gone for obvious reasons. Very high draft picks, they're out. McManus, eligibility, he's gone. Uh, DiGiacomo, transferred. Cranford, transfer. Bianco, transfer. Safford transfer, Holt transfer, Dros transfer, and I don't know about Beloso. I don't know if he's going to return, if he's made a decision. I've heard different things, so I don't know what Cade's going to do. I'm going to be honest. For my calculations that I kind of came up with later, I counted him out. I have no inside information, no clue, but I just, I just don't know. Look, he's a great kid. He's coming off injury. Um, I don't know where he's going to play, so... And I, I don't know where his mind is with baseball. So I, I counted him out. Just took a guess. Okay. So who do you have coming back? Cruz Morgan, Pearson, Thompson, Joe Bear, Dugas, Travinsky, Merrifield, Malazzo, Stevenson. Leto, and that's it. So a lot of familiar names, a lot of experienced guys, a lot of guys who played a major role in um, LSU success the past couple years. So, um, yeah, they're going to be counting on those guys to make a big run this year. 
So that's that's who you're losing right there, and you're returning from a position player perspective. Now, let's talk about the draft per se. And first of all, let me get this out. You know, here is my take on recruiting, and I do not follow it very closely up until now. Because I don't get super excited when these kids sign knowing that the draft's going to take some of them. So I just don't get invested in that. But in my opinion, it's always better to have talented kids signed and committed than not to have those kids. Because you'd always like to have those kids on campus and who knows what happens with the draft. Everybody knows it's it's kind of a crapshoot. Unless you're like a top two or three round guy, you never know what's going to happen. But I tweeted the other day that after the conclusion of the draft, I thought LSU got crushed by it. I thought they got really hurt. And while crushed may have been a bit reactionary, it was after the last day of the draft. It was Wednesday afternoon, I believe, or I think. The way I looked at it, all these incoming freshmen and JUCO kids, and while they're talented, yes, they are very talented. But are they proven at this level? Absolutely not. Therefore, for me, When I look at the roster of returning players and the portal guys, those are proven Division I players, SEC, ACC, Big 12 players, wherever they're coming from, they're proven. And then I look at who LSU lost off the 2022 roster. That's why I commented. I felt like they got crushed in the draft, and and I'll explain that. Because you don't know how these new guys a.k.a. JUCO or high school kids, are going to perform in the fall and into the spring. And to me, it's just not realistic to assume that they're going to walk right in and start in the outfield, behind the plate, be a weekend guy right off the bat. Right? Those guys are trying to find their way to class. They're very far away from home for a long period of time. California, Canada, Florida, Georgia, you know, wherever they may be from, Pennsylvania, You know, they got a lot going on in their heads. So when I say they got crushed, I just took a look at the LSU guys they lost because of the draft. I took a look at the portal guys they lost. And the one Juco guy who got drafted in the second round, everybody knew he wasn't coming. Because I look at portal LSU roster guys as immediate contributors. And to me, I was like, man, I felt like they took a hit. Because if you get one or two of those guys back, especially on the pitching staff, I think you're ready to roll without having to put too much pressure on these incoming high school recruits. Now, I know they're very talented. They throw hard. They play at all these showcases. They travel around, you know, bigger, stronger, faster. I get all that. It's just a different level, though. They haven't faced a lineup of Pearson, Carter Young, Cruz, Tanks, Morgan, Joe Bear, Thompson, Dugas, and... I don't know, Stevenson. They haven't, they haven't gone in the inner squad. They haven't gone to the locker room, looked, say, who am I throwing against today? And you see that nine flash up. They don't face that in high school. They don't face that in travel ball. You got the first pick in the draft who's hitting three hole. The freshman of the year is hitting four hole, right? And then you got a stud freshman, Pearson, and you got Thompson and Morgan that are going to be high draft picks. You know, these guys can swing it. So it's a lot to ask for these guys to come in and perform right away. So I I just don't assume that that's going to happen. Like, I'm not putting freshman A in the starting lineup in a prediction, you know? Get through the fall first. Let's just make sure everything goes according to plan here. So, having said all that, let's take a look at the draft. 
Let's look at who else you signed in the portal and who they lost. Who else you signed from high school, who they lost. And let's just go over that real quick and let's just do a breakdown. Okay. LSU drafted players. We had Barry. And I'm going to give you slot values too because I thought this was interesting. Remember, slot values. Uh, just what draft rounds one through 10, Major League Baseball puts a value on the signing bonus for these guys. Uh, the team can choose to pay under the slot value or over the slot value. So it just kind of gives you a gauge. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to get in the weeds with that. LSU players who got drafted. Barry was the sixth pick overall. Amazing. Great job for that young man. Pump for him. His slot value is $6 million. Pretty nice. Even after taxes, right? Doty, 78th pick. Slot value, 833K. Razelman, fifth round, 160th pick. 340K is his slot value. I didn't think he was going to go that high. Got a great arm. Lacks a secondary pitch. I just, I just didn't, I thought he was going to fall a little later, to be 100% honest with you. Gervais, 12th round, 359th pick. This was a surprise to me, not in terms of where he got picked. I don't get into all that. Selfishly, I wanted him to come back. I wanted him to be at the back end of the bullpen. But more so, I wanted Wes Johnson to get a chance to work with him, clean up his mechanics, find that consistent slider, and then maybe even get a bump in velo after spending more time in the weight room. And the guy's 6'10". I mean, the sky's the limit for him. So selfishly, I wanted Gervais to come back. So I thought that was a bummer when he you know, decided he's basically going to take that chance. And I will never fault anybody, anybody, for deciding they're going to go with the draft. You don't know their home situation, their family situation, the money situation. You don't know anything. All we know is he got a chance to pursue a, a childhood dream and take it, young man. But selfishly, I would love to have Gervais or, and or Razelman back. Both would be great. So that was one of the reasons behind the tweet. So you're losing those guys from the LSU roster, okay? Portal guys. LSU signed Dylan Tobrook. That's how you pronounce his name. Dylan Tobrook from Creighton. Two-time Big East Pitcher of the Year. He was also a grad. He's also graduated, but he had one year of eligibility left. Tobrook won the eighth round, 239th pick, slot value of 182K. This was also one of the reasons I said crushed in the draft. When I saw eighth round, I thought LSU may have a chance. He may decide I'm going to pass up that money. Maybe I want to. Maybe he wants to get a chance to come play with Cruz and Morgan. Um, Wes Johnson's his pitching coach now. Play for Jay Johnson, and maybe he wanted to make a run, try to make a run to Omaha uh, in his last year of eligibility. That's what I was thinking. You know, eighth round, I, the money. You know, once again, you don't know a situation. But after he got drafted, everybody basically said he was going to go anyway. Now, I know Jay Johnson's got to get that guy in case, you know, maybe he falls to the 15th round for some reason. You got to sign him. You got to take him if he wants to come here. You take that chance. But, man, I saw eighth round, and I thought there was a, I thought there was a chance. I'm not going to lie. Because that guy slots in immediately to your weekend rotation. He's your Friday or Saturday guy. Boom. He's proven it. He's done it. And I think, you know, losing him hurts. Losing Gervais hurts. So, you know, another reason for my tweet. Signed, Jack Pineda from Baylor. He got taken in the 12th round. He's gone, basically. Uh, after 10 rounds, they don't have any slot value, so he's a 12th round, 355th pick. Middle infielder. He was going to battle out with Thompson and Carter Young for some playing time. You know, maybe they slide one of the, or we're going to slide one of those guys over to third. Who knows? But he was going to offer some competition and some depth. So um, he looked like a perfect two or a nine-hole hitter to me. Can do a little bit of everything but he's gone. So all of a sudden now your portal class, 
You lose two. So in the portal, as a reminder, LSU has Thatcher Hurd, who was a freshman at UCLA last year, but has a stress fracture in his back. So to me, he is a massive question mark. Now, if he's healthy and he's right, he's a Friday or Saturday night guy, bottom line. Dominant stuff. Nasty stats. This year, Thatcher Hurd at UCLA as a freshman, right-handed pitcher. Nine games, 1.06 ERA, 34 innings pitched, 48 Ks. He was like a top top 30 kid coming out of high school, top two or three player in California, and that guy ends up at UCLA. But to me, that injury is, is just a massive question mark right now to me. Also in the portal, you got Christian Little from Vanderbilt, right-handed pitcher. In two years at Vanderbilt, four and four, 4.65 ERA. He's thrown a total of 81 and a third innings pitch with 95 Ks. We saw him start this year against LSU on the Saturday game. Didn't make it out to second. Has good stuff. Big kid. Just not consistent right now. Has started and relieved. He seems like he's done a little bit of both. Also, Tommy Tanks, baby. Tommy White. NC State. Infielder DH. Freshman of the year. Freshman home run record. The guy hit 362 at NC State with 27 bombs and 74 RBIs. Yes, please. The guy can absolutely mash. Portal guy. And the last portal guy that's actually coming to LSU, we think. He did get drafted in 17th round. But you have Carter Young, infielder from Vanderbilt. Really struggled this year. In two years at Vanderbilt, uh, 2021, he hit 252, Led the team with 16 home runs. This year, I'm not sure what went on. He hit 202 this season. A lot of strikeouts. He's, he looked like he's about um, 2 or 3 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. So he's going to get up there and hack. So from the portal... You got Hurd, right-handed pitcher, coming off injury. Little, right-handed pitcher. Tommy White, Tommy Tanks, and Carter Young. So you get four guys out the portal. Four proven Division I players that can help out. Juco. Who did LSU sign from Juco? Jacob Mizorowski, right-handed pitcher, goes in the second round. He was a second-round pick. The 63rd pick, slot value of $1.1 million. He gone. I saw some clips of him on Twitter. This dude was 99, 199 in three pitches I saw on Twitter at like a pre-draft workout, a pre-draft combine. Nice and easy and absolute fuzz. I mean, I saw that and I was like, he ain't coming to LSU. So he's gone. But Juco, LSU just got, they added some depth to the pitching staff, which is, which is important. Juco going to be a little, a little bit older, a little bit more mature physically. They got Caleb Appleby, right-handed pitcher, um, 6'7". Up to 96, 97. Adrian Servano, right-handed pitcher, 6'4", 93-95. Nate Ackenhausen, left-handed pitcher, 6'2", 89-91, curveball slider change. Now, after the draft, I went and did some research. Like I said, I didn't know who these guys were two months ago, but I just went and looked on Twitter, looked on Perfect Game, and saw some film. You know, And the theme for this pitching class is everybody throws hard. Bottom line. So from a Juco perspective, you lose one in the draft, but you add some depth along the um, lines in terms of pitching. Probably on the back end, I would think. Okay, high school. This is going to take a minute now. Number one recruiting class in the country. But you lost some guys. I know Jay Johnson's well-versed in who he's going to keep and who he's going to lose probably. But um, when I sent that tweet out that they got crushed, I had people disagree with me, and I don't care about that. That does not make me mad in the instance. I'm here for all the conversation. But remember, I think they got crushed because of the guys that were proven. I don't know what these high school guys are going to do. Remember, unfortunately, some of these kids are going to transfer. Some of these kids aren't going to pan out. And in a couple years, in three years, 
you may lose six or seven guys out of this class. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. Okay, position by position. We're going to start with the right-handed pitchers, okay? This is who we signed, and this is who's coming. All your right-handed pitchers are going to show up on campus. Chase Shores, 6'8", up to 98. Perfect game. 23rd-ranked kid in the country. The fifth right-handed, excuse me, the number five right-handed pitcher in the country. The number one right-handed pitcher out of Texas. Chase Shores. Aiden Moffitt. Um, he's in. 6'3", up to 97, even 99. Number one right-handed pitcher in Mississippi. Jaden Newt got drafted, but it looks like he's coming. 6'4", 92-95. 33rd-ranked player on perfect game. 8th-ranked right-handed pitcher. He is the number one right-handed pitcher in California. So you got the number one right-handed pitcher in California, Texas. Those aren't bad baseball states. And Mississippi. Always good to steal one to Mississippi, especially with... Two, you know, you got Mississippi State defending, you know, they won in 2021, Ole Miss wins it in 2022, and we all hate Southern Miss. There you go. And then you got Micah Bucknam. Talked about him earlier. He's 6'2". He's about 91 to 92. A lot of pitchability with him. Uh, Free and easy delivery. So all four of the right-handed pitchers you sign, they're all coming. Left-handed pitchers, Robbie Snelling. He is gone. 39th pick in the draft, $2 million slot value. Michael Kennedy, he is gone. Fourth round pick, the 110th, 110th pick. His slot value is 554K. So you signed five left-handed pitchers. You lose two to the draft. The three you have coming are Griffin Herring, 6'2". He's 88 to 90. He is out of Southlake High School, which is in Carroll, Texas. They won the state championship this year. He was a key behind that. Southlake is an amazing athletic program. I lived in Dallas for six years. Very, I'm pretty familiar with them. Amazing football program. Um, Quinn Ewers, Ohio State, now at Texas. Riley Dodge is their coach. Um, amazing football program and equally amazing baseball program. They compete in the highest level of classification in Texas, which is 6A. Nick Bronzini, California. He is 6'3", lefty. And DJ Primo, who's from Central. I know his high school coach very well. Uh, I've seen some stuff of him throughout the season. He looks like he's got a little bit of dog in him, comes from Central. I love those homegrown kids. So three lefties. From the high school ranks, showing up on LSU's campus. Outfielders, Paxton Kling, 6'2", outfielder. He was the 19th ranked player overall from Perfect Game. So a big-time outfielder. I believe he's from Pennsylvania. You have Zeb Rudell, or Ruddle, I think it's Rudell, from Neville. And then Mick Paul from Utah, who are outfielders. You lose Justin Crawford, the son of Carl Crawford. He was the 17th pick in the draft. He gone. And his slot value is only $3.79 million. I think he was from Vegas. So you got three outfielders coming in and Kling, Rudel, Rudel, excuse me, and Paul. Infielders slash catchers. You have Gavin Gidry coming over from Barb, uh, one of the most successful programs in the country and in the state of Louisiana. He's 6'2", plays shortstop, pitches, number one ranked player in Louisiana, 65th ranked player in perfect game. I know a lot of people around here are very excited about him. Once again, another homegrown kid. Uh, Mikey Romero, shortstop from California. He's gone. 24th pick in the draft. 2.9 million slot value. Tucker Toman, 77th pick in the draft. 840K slot value. He's gone. So out of the three infillers you sign, you're only going to have one show up on campus. Catchers signed three. All three are supposed to show up on campus. These guys are massive. Jared Jones, 6'4". I believe he's out of Georgia. 47th ranked player in perfect game. The number four ranked catcher. Ethan Fry or Frey? I'm not sure, so I'm just going to call him Ethan. 
He's a Louisiana kid. I don't, I don't want anybody hollering at me from Louisiana. So we're just going to call him Big Ethan because he's massive. He made Jay Johnson look a midget the other day in that picture I saw on Twitter. Ethan is 6'5", maybe probably 6'6". He is the number one, number two ranked player in Louisiana behind Gavin Gidry. And both him and Jones are a little versatile on their um, profiles. You know, it looked like they could play third or first. I think Ethan even pitches a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what those guys do because there is a little bit of a backlog with Malazzo coming back, Travinsky coming back, and you sign three catchers and all three are going to show up on campus with Jared Jones, Ethan, and then the other supply, surprise is Brady Neal. He went to IMG out of Florida. So IMG, amazing football program, but now their basketball and baseball programs have turned into basically what their football program is, a national powerhouse. Brady Neal, 5'10". Um, he is only 17, so he reclassified from the 2023 class to show up on campus. He is the number two ranked catcher in the country per perfect game and the 29th player in the country. So that is impressive. Swings it from the left side. For him to be 17, ranked that high, reclassify, and then to show up on campus. He did get drafted, but he said he's coming. So that is a loaded catcher class right there. All right. So I went through all the guys that we lost from the portal, Juco High School, and who's coming. So now, real quick, before I get into kind of what the roster looks like and my take on the roster as we start to wrap this thing up here, I want to tell you, the reason why I was telling you those sizes, LSU's recruiting class is massive. Those guys, they're going to win the get-off-the-bus competition this year. Shores, from a pitching perspective, you have 6'8", 6'3", 6'4", 6'2", 6'2", 6'3". You know, Kling in the outfield, 6'2". Gidry, 6'2", in the infield. The catchers are 6'4", 6'6", and then Neal's 5'10", but he's stocky and built. The Juco pitchers are 6'7", 6'4", 6'2". I mean, these guys are massive, and it is, it is very clear to see, one, Jay Johnson can recruit his butt off, but to me, he looks he, he has a formula, obviously, in place. Physical size, is, it looks like it's, it's part of that formula, and um, also, he's going after guys that can absolutely bring it in terms of velocity. All these kids' velocity, some of them are already in the upper 90s, so it's going to be great to see what happens when Wes Johnson gets a hold of them. And so um, you have to imagine that in terms of his philosophy or strategy, in terms of recruiting, I've heard him say that he wants big league potential kids mixed in with high-level Louisiana kids. So that's what I think. I think he's going to focus on the studs in Louisiana, go get those homegrown, those program-type kids that love LSU just like we do on the football side. And then he's going to go out there and cherry-pick who he wants in terms of needs from a national perspective because LSU is a national brand when it comes to baseball and get those studs, those high-level kids. And look, it's better to sign them and potentially lose them than not have them at all. And I think he prioritizes what their current ability is along with projectability so they're not tapped out yet. And then also, I think he looks at their mental mindset and their family. A lot of these kids are two-sport athletes in high school and very successful two-sport athletes having won state championships in football or even played basketball. And I have to imagine that there's a family aspect to it as well. So how do the parents fit into the program? and what Johnson has in terms of a vision for LSU baseball program moving forward. And look, when you think about the current landscape of parents and that travel ball parent out there, and I know for a fact that they had parents of players that would call the previous staff and complain about playing time. Fact. Parents are calling up Maneri, a top 5, 10 program in the country, 
and complain about what is it, about playing time. This is college. Look, they got to earn their own PT. So I'd imagine Johnson is trying to nip that in the bud and doesn't want any of that going on in his program moving forward. So I definitely think he looks for talent, projectability. He seems to like these two-sport athletes, kids that are big, physically mature, and physically ready to compete. And then I definitely think there's some type of mental makeup or mental mindset when he sits down with these kids that he's looking for, for those kids to convey when, they, when he's you know, in the living room or, or at the tournament or wherever he is in his office. So great job by Jay Johnson and the staff in securing that class. Something That class is going to add a lot of depth. So let's get into that. What's the roster outlook and what's the predictions as we wrap up the summertime LSU baseball pod here on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU baseball pod? All right. So let's look at the roster now. So this is who we have. In terms of right-handed pitchers, you have Collins coming back, Dutton, Money, Taylor, Floyd, Edwards, Fontenot, Helmers, Lansville. Add in the high school kids, Shores, Moffitt, Newt, Bucknam, and the Juco kids. This is righties, Appleby, Saravo. From a lefties, all you had was Cooper in the pen sitting there because Javen Coleman had Tommy John, so we don't know what he's going to look like in terms of comeback for his injuries. Excuse me, and the righties, you throw in Hurd and Little out of the portal. Apologize. Lefties, very thin. So these freshmen, you know, from a left-handed perspective, are going to have a chance to, you know, maybe slot in one to the weekend rotation and really help out Cooper in the bullpen. you got Cooper and Coleman, who's coming off injury. I've seen some uh, film of Nate Ackenhausen. He's got three pitches for a strike. He looks like a perfect Guy to take Hasty's role coming out that pin. And then from a high school perspective, you have Herring, Bronzini, and Primo coming in from the left-handed side. Okay, outfielders. Loaded outfield class. Cruz, Pearson, Stevenson, Joe Bear. I mean, and Dugas. Throw Dugas in there. He's like a utility swing guy. That outfield is loaded. And then you bring in Paxton Kling, Zeb Rudell, and Mick Paul. Three outfielders coming in. To provide some depth and some competition, I think two of those spots are locked down. Stevenson's having a really good summer, having some, you know, getting a lot of abs, which he needs. So it's going to be tough for those guys to break in, in my opinion. Infielders, you only have one signee coming in with the portal guy. So Carter Young's coming in from Vanderbilt out the portal. Gavin Gidry's coming in as a high school kid, and then the returning guys, Dugas is a swing guy, and then you have Thompson and Merrifield. Morgan and Leto, Tommy Tanks from the portal as well. So from infielders, you got to think Morgan's at first. I'm going to leave him at first for this discussion. Thompson and Young. And then at third, I don't know what you do. It's really competition between Merrifield. Tanks can play third and first. And then you got to look at Gavin Guidry. He's, I guarantee he's a good enough athlete to, to slide over and play third if needed. Or play second. They, I'm sure they'll have a competition, and Johnson's going to do the best thing. But I definitely look for Gavin Gidry to push for some playing time early on in his career at LSU. And then lastly, catchers. Loaded, and it's, it's just a big room. A lot of people. You have Malazzo and Travinsky, and the incoming freshman, Jared Jones, Ethan, big Ethan from Louisiana, Frey or Fry, and then Brady Neal as well. So I don't know what's going to happen with the catchers. I don't know. So total roster spots, though, 21, a total of 21 Juco Portal high school kids, a total of 22 returners. Your roster is at 42. That's a problem. For 2023, the NCAA baseball rosters can have to be at 35, but it can go up to 40. 
But if you get to 40, those players from 35 to 40, so those five guys had to have lost the 2020 season due to COVID. So I don't know where LSU stands on that. I'm not going to get the weeds on that. But if they got 42 guys coming in, there's going to have to be some attrition after the fall. I, I don't with regards to obviously some people are going to take a red shirt and maybe you see one or two guys bounce out and possibly go Juco. I have no idea. All right. So that's the roster with returning guys and incoming guys. So what does the outlook look like? <clears throat> so my biggest concern right off the bat is the pitching staff. Okay. You lost Tobrook from Creighton, lost him in the draft. You lost, lost Razelman and Gervais in the draft. You got some good guys coming back, but what do you? My concern is the back end of the bullpen, the very end. Who's going to shut things down, and then who your starter is going to be? Because what about Thatcher Hurd from UCLA? What does his back injury look like? Now, if he's good to go, completely healthy, it's a great option for Friday night. I think Ty Floyd is going to slot in Saturday or Sunday. I think he proved that at the end of the year. I think he's going to have an even better year the way his. Um, Curveball and changeup progressed, and we know he's already got a very good fastball. And what happens with Blake Money? You know, does he stay a starter? Do they put him back in the pen? Maybe put him in a setup role where he just has to blow it out for an inning or two? And then you got Dutton, who started some last year. But what about Grant Taylor in the summer he's had? He's absolutely dealing up in the Cape as a starter. And I don't know. I don't know if it's just because they want him to get more innings, so they put him as a starter. That happens sometimes where Jay Johnson would be like, hey, we want Grant to start so he can build up his innings log. Or they want to look at him as a starter for the fall and possibly the spring. I have no idea. So, I mean, definitely. And then you got Christian Little from Vanderbilt as well. So you, you de- my biggest question on the pitching side is who's going to close games? And I think Caleb Appleby can potentially do that. You know, coming out of the Juco ranks, and he throws hard up to 97, I believe, and he's 6'8". Um, I think you got a lefty. I think you're going to have another. You got Cooper, another lefty. He's Ackenhausen. I think he's going to slot right into a reliever's role. But what about some of these freshmen? You know, can two of these freshmen show out enough? Can one of them push for maybe a midweek starting role, like a Chase Shores or a Jaden Newt, possibly? Can you slot in a Micah Buckman? He has some pitchability to him. He may be almost like a Bryce Collins, where he's a middle reliever. And then, uh, Aiden Moffitt, 97, 98, you know, can he slide into the back end? So I think these these freshmen are going to show a lot during the fall. And um, I would probably look for two of them to get, you know, anywhere from 10 to probably 20 innings, you know. But the biggest thing is what happens with Hurd now that you lost Tobrook to the draft and Christian Little. Like, how does he progress? How does he develop after having spent two years at Vanderbilt? So that's the biggest question mark for me. By far and away, the pitchers. And you heard Jay Johnson say after the, they lost the regional at Southern Miss, he said, we just got to pitch better. I guarantee you they don't want to rely on the bullpen as much as they did last year or this year. And you can look at who he signed and these kids that he signed, you know, and going out and getting Thatcher Hurd and Christian Little from the portal and Tobrook. I mean, that's three guys, potentially three starters, you know, if you, if you make Little a starter as well. So his emphasis was definitely on pitching. And we'll just have to see how some of these guys pan out, how some injuries pan out, and then what the freshmen can show during the fall. Because obviously they're very talented, but now they get to produce at a very high level. In terms of hitters, let's just group all the position players together. I think the young guys are going to offer depth, and some of those guys are going to get some time, potentially uh, Kling and Gidry. 
just due to um, there's not there's a lot of outfield. The starting spots in the outfield are limited. Let's just put it to you like that. And you're going to have one or two guys fighting for one spot, in my opinion. So it's going to be tough for those guys to get ABs. You know, Gidry, I think he has a great chance to get some big-time playing time with uh, Pineda going in the draft and bouncing out. So Gidry kind of steps into the fold front and center. We'll see how he adjusts to the college game. You know, and then everybody's question, you know, what do you do with Trey Morgan and Tommy Tanks? You know, Tanks can play third, and he can DH, obviously. But you got um, Joe Bear, who who really can't didn't offer you a lot in the outfield last year, who was your primary DH. And we know how Jay Johnson likes to go left-right matchups with the lineup. But I, I, just, I know Morgan played outfield for Team USA this summer some, or he worked out there a little bit. The box scores I saw, he was playing first base. I just don't think you can move Morgan off first. They've had, I guarantee you they've had those discussions. So I don't know what's going to happen. I would imagine um, Tommy from NC State can play third. He can DH. He may get some time at first. Maybe during some midweek games, let Morgan play outfield or, or DH. I don't know. That's obviously a good problem to have. But the infield with Thompson and Young, I would imagine they're going to slot in the middle somewhere. And third base is completely wide open. You know, Dugas can play third. I'm sure, you know, Gidry or Young. And then you got um, Tommy White. So it'll be interesting to see. But they have options in the infield. And those guys can swing it. So I don't feel as worried about the infield, especially the outfield. You know, you got Cruz and Pearson who are going to be – who can absolutely swing it as well. Stevenson's, I think Stevenson's going to do a great job this year if given the chance. So um, good problems to have. Pitching, obviously, they're going to find a lot about their staff facing this lineup in the uh, in the fall. You know, when you're looking at preseason one, two, or three team, you know, these freshmen are going to have their eyes open. They got the stuff to do it. Anybody that throws, you know, 96 to 98 in high school has tremendous ability. Now it's just about throwing strikes and getting another pitch for a strike, as we all know how important that is. So... If I have to pick somebody for a 2023 season, like almost like a pick to click, I'm going to go with Stevenson and Taylor as returning guys. They both had great summers and good experience last year. And I think big things are on the horizon for them. If I had to pick a new guy, I would probably pick Appleby. Um, on the back end, If he, I think he could potentially slide in as a closer. And then if I had to look at the freshman, um, I guess I'll, if I have to pick two, I'll pick Shores and Gidry as kind of pick to click. You know, I thought a lot about Kling, but that outfield is pretty stacked and very crowded. But if you say, what about some sleepers? I like Bucknam's pitchability from what I saw, and then Herring from the left side and his experience um, in the high school ranks. He seems like he's pretty seasoned. Uh, but then you got, you know, Brady Brady Neal from catching, and then what's going to happen with Big Ethan from Louisiana? I mean, he's massive. He can hit the ball a long way. Uh, good things for Jay Johnson, and I can't wait to go check out some of their um, fall scrimmages, which is my plan, and hopefully report back on the 60 Feet 6 inches LSU pod about what I'm seeing out there in the fall. So that's the plan. So picks a click. Let's go Stevenson and Taylor for the returning guys. You know, freshmen, Shores and Gidry. And then the new guy, I don't know about Thatcher Hurd's injury. Let's go Appleby. You know, maybe he'll be the closer. So I hope I'm pronouncing his name right as well. So. That's going to do it for the summer edition of the LSU Baseball Pod. Thank you all for joining me. I will post a link to this podcast on the Twitter account, which is at 60FT6INLSUPod. That is at 60FT6INLSUPod on Twitter. The podcast will be available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, along with other major audio platforms. Be sure to follow and interact with me on Twitter. Also follow the YouTube page. 
Um, like and subscribe to the page. Hit that notifications bell for YouTube and Twitter. And just once again, thank you all for joining me, guys. I appreciate it. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of y'all's summer, and I will see you next time on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Baseball Pod.